Set aside your fantasy and sci-fi doorstoppers. Sometimes big ideas come in small packages. This is Word Less. Hi, Mark. It's been a hot minute since we've recorded. How are things? Good. How about you? Well, I went to my first Comic-Con, so that was fun. Ooh, how was it? It was fun. It, it, I don't think it's my thing, honestly, because it's a money pit. Well, yeah. Can, but, can I tell you, uh, I, I have one kind of sad story for me, but fun story for my friends about a Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. So this was back in college, so we're talking like pre-internet days, right? Mm-hmm. And my favorite author in the entire world, still my favorite author, Stephen Brust, um, apparently was at a Comic-Con near my college. I was unaware of it at the time. And I couldn't make it to the Comic-Con because I had to prepare for um, a major biochemistry exam the next day. So all my friends took off to the, to the Comic-Con, and they all tried to call me. I had my phone off the hook because I was busy preparing for my exam. And Do you remember when phones and hooks were a thing? <laughs> I know. Like, like all, all these people are going to be like, dude, they didn't text you or whatever. No, no, no. If you take your phone off the hook, it literally gives a busy signal. Like, you can't communicate with other people. So <laughs> I go, I prepare everything. Uh, I do well on my test. Then when my friends come back, they're they're talking about like you know how they met Stephen Brust, and I'm like, oh, I'm so jealous. I'm like, oh, you know, did you guys buy buy any of his books? Yeah, no, we bought his new book. Oh, wow, that's great. Did you guys autograph? Oh no, we told him about you, but we didn't give him. We didn't get any autographs. We didn't buy you anything. We didn't do anything for you, man. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> no. That's nope. amazing. Nope. So- I'm like, man. Anyways. I'm going to make you very jealous. Uh-huh. I got to talk to Robin Hobb. Oh, I'm and, super jealous. And I got her signature in her latest book. And I also got her to sign a magic card. And it was um, Briar Rose Alpha, which is yeah, a know. wolf. It's a wolf yeah. card. Gives you plus two, plus two to any other creature when it enters the field. Well, not jealous about that. I am totally jealous that you got to meet Robin Hobb. Love her. She's such a great author. I mean, of course, I met her through Stephen Brust. (laughs) There's a book that they uh, collaborate on together called Gypsy. You should read that sometime. I I do like Stephen Brust quite quite a lot. At least the one book I've read of his. Robin Hobb is a very good writer. She's a magnificent writer. Even if you don't like her all the time, I think she's a fantastic writer. Oh, no, she's she's very talented. Just not your cup of tea, huh? Yeah. Which I did not say to her, despite our Discord chat. <laughs> <laughs> so this is our spooky Halloween episode. And for it, I chose my favorite Neil Gaiman short story collection, Fragile Things, which is full of spooky stories and even terrifying stories. Though there are some lighthearted ones, 
but such as instructions, which was turned into a picture book that I read to my children regularly. We will be covering free stories, other people, October takes the chair, and closing time. But before we start in, I'm going to plug my other podcast that I'm on, if you're okay with that. You're the one running the show. Go ahead. (laughs) So the green team of the Legendarium um, has an episode where we cover a study in Emerald, the first story that appears in this book. It's episode 134, a few short stories, and check that out for some more spooky gaming goodness. So, Mark, what story did you pick? I picked other people. But before we start talking about that, I have a question for you generally. Okay. What do you think about Neil Gaiman? I love him, but he's kind of hit and miss. Does that make sense? Like, Yes. So we were talking about, we talked about this with um, Dresden and um, Butcher. So Butcher nails every single short story he writes and his novels are eh sometimes, but, or good. I mean, his novels are hit or miss. Gaiman is the opposite. He nails his novels, but his short stories are hit and miss. I, I can see that. I can see what you're saying. I can see what you're Yeah, Gaiman's actually really good at setting a story up. That, that, that's mm-hmm. like one of his strengths is the atmosphere and the setting and kind of the feel of the book, if that makes any sense. The feel of the story. Right. And so sometimes writing in shorter spaces, that, that can be, that can sometimes cause issues. I can see, I can see what you're saying. Yeah, but I, I'm pretty sure I've read everything he's written, to be honest. I might have missed a couple of his picture books. He's written. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but yeah, I honestly love him, and also Gosh. I love his audiobooks because he reads them and he has the most amazing voice. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> well, one, I'll say this: not that Neil Gaiman needs me to say anything positive about him. He's world acclaimed, and everybody knows him and loves him. Uh, like he's he's a great writer. Writer. That's I'm not telling anybody any secrets with that. But I always feel like when somebody tells me to read Neil Gaiman, it's like it's, it's like I can hear my mom telling me, go eat your vegetables, right? <laughs> like, I know it's going to be good for me. I'll like some of them. I won't like others. You know, but and overall, like, it, it'll probably be good for me. That's sometimes how I feel like when people say, why don't you go read a Gaiman book? I know it's going to be good or great. I know it's going to be well-written. But just sometimes I just don't want to do it. But like once I read it, once I start it, I'm fine. The problem is just getting me to read it. And I don't know if it's just an unconscious thing like me resisting the general consensus of loving Neil Gaiman or, or what. I, just, I don't know. So you're a hipster is what you're saying. I would probably be the weirdest looking hipster ever. <laughs> Oh, I liked Neil Gaiman before he was cool, but he's not cool anymore. So no, it's I've I'm just giving you, I'm kidding. just flipping you shit. It's totally fine. What was that one? Um, I already forgot. Good Omens. Didn't he do Good Omens? Yes. Terry Pratchett. Yeah, yeah. So okay. Again, that's one of those stories that I remember reading, 
like, actually practically being forced to read it. Like I was like, do I have to? I really don't want to. I know if these authors are good. I really, and then I read it and I'm like, I'm dying laughing. I love the entire book. It's just, it's wonderful. But I don't know, like, I don't know what it is about it. It's just like getting me to start reading is always crazy. And I love Sandman, the, the original graphic novels. Love them. So, oh, know. have you watched the show? We're getting off topic, but it's fine. So, I've seen the first episode, liked it. But getting me to watch TV is always a bit of a yeah. chore. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not that I don't like it. I mean, it, it's fine. And we'll see. Well, I've. I very much enjoyed it. I yeah, I enjoyed it. I liked it quite a lot. Um, but I'm the same with you. Like, I have to be motivated to watch TV because I'd rather do something else most of the time. Yeah. And so I haven't caught up on Rings of Power yet, and that's my TV project at the moment. But anyway, other people, Mark, tell us about other people. So I picked other people purely based on the name. I'm like, oh, look, other people. That sounds kind of unusual. And the story is kind of unusual. It's maybe seven, eight pages long, not very long. And the story follows a person who is being told that they're going to be tortured. And then they're tortured. And then... First physically, then emotionally, then psychologically, until the person is broken. And at the end of the story, you the person is then left alone, and then their former self show up, and they realize that they're in a loop, and the person that's been torturing them has been themselves the entire time. Yes. What did you think of this short story, uh, Allison? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so, um, this story terrified me. I actually had nightmares after reading it. Now, I realize I don't know what the concept of hell is for Jews. This is my worst nightmare that I would be forced to confess all of my sins, the way this character is. And not only that, but he has to confess, like there's a scene, there's a part where he says, well, I loved her and I was really sad when we broke up. And the demon says, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have to admit that I've been cheating on her with, this, with her sister. Like every little action affects other people and mm-hmm. even even it's about how much we lie to ourselves to get away with and make and make ourselves righteous even when we don't we aren't and the stories we tell ourselves often are our self-justifications And the fact that he has to go through the confession three times before he's cleansed in a way, I guess, whatever. Um, I mean, man, it's just devastating. I find it interesting, both in the story and you, who call (laughs) the other 
person, a demon. It's, it's still the same person, just No, one I didn't call him a demon. You just did. Yes, you did. He, he called. Yes, you. You called. He, you called him he, a demon. Now, hold on. Let but me. But he's me a demon. Like the character himself is the demon. Like it's the same person. He's a demon. Wait, wait, I guess you can say. Wait. Okay. So that. Okay. Now we're yelling at each other. I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm yelling. <laughs> at which point is that person a demon? Is that person a demon when they're stripped of all illusions and they're left with the reality of who they are and have accepted it? Or are they a demon when they first walk into the room, arrogant and full of swagger? When they first walk into the room. Because you said that the demon was the one doing the torturing. Uh, I mean, because that's what the book calls him. Uh, which I find I, interesting, don't you? I do. I, I mean, yeah, for sure. So he's much more the, the demon is the person who walks in the door. He calls the thing he's looking at a demon. But really, he's the demon. And he's forced to look back at the, the wake of horror that he's left in his life. Mm-hmm. How do you think that relates to the title of the story? I think it's asking you to think about how you think of how you treat other people and your effects on them. Gotcha. So it's, I think, I I think, go ahead, go ahead. It's kind of like the demon who makes the, the traffic jam around London just to make people mad because it creates evil. Mm -hmm. And this is in uh, good omens. It's like that. Like, we do things and we don't even think about our, the ramifications of them on other people just to, because. Gotcha. I think Neil Gaiman is using a twist on the cliche, hell is other people. Mm. By leaving the Probably title other people. And the person walking into the room doesn't realize that the person doing the torturing is himself until he's gone through the process. And the final torture is that he realizes that he's going to have to torture himself in a loop. That's the final torture. Mm -hmm. And that to me, that was the scariest part of the entire story. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. That for sure. Realizing he was in a loop. And that what he was destined to do was to prepare himself to torture himself again. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. I, it, like I said, this story really did give me nightmares. I'm like, how many times have I screwed up and self justified? And I, how did it affect other people? <laughs> I love the story. I, I oh, I love it too. I genuinely, truly, and look, and he's he's speaking a truth that that most people um, would find uncomfortable. I mean, there there's a psychological uh, um, description for it called cognitive dissonance, where you mm -hmm. literally, if if something like if you confront a reality or truth that disagrees with your belief system, 
you'll find a way to justify to ignore the existence of that truth. You will just yeah. find a way to do it. That's just the way humans work. And so, and it's almost unnecessary. Yeah, but it's almost a necessary thing to a certain point. Like, like we kind of because things are so complicated in the world, we kind of almost have to have that ability. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying that that's why we have that ability. Well, how how truthful should you be to yourself? As I'm not saying there's an, I'm not saying there's an answer to it, but I'm just saying that that that's one of the questions this the story poses is that how truthful do you actually want to be with yourself? Yep. Because if you're that truthful to yourself, are you still you? Yep. Yep. There I mean it just like a, if you had not picked this story, I would have, is what I would say. It's awesome. It's my favorite story in the book. <laughs> as much as it horrifies and terrifies me. I literally just picked it out of a hat. It was just like, oh, look, that looks like a cool name. Um, and I'll say this. Anybody who reads it, you can read the entire story. It took me 10 minutes to read the entire story. It was not long. It was very beautiful. The writing in it itself is very spare. Like, mm-hmm. Neil Gaiman doesn't waste a word in the story. It's all very spare, very... It's, it's stripped. It's, it's, it's As the story goes on, much like what's happening to the character, the story is like stripped of all pretension. All you're left with is, you know, what he's going through, what he's experiencing, kind of stripped to the bone over and over and over again. You don't really... It's one of the few stories that Neil Gaiman doesn't really give you a sense of space or setting. It's just that person's interior interior mind. And he does it in, I want to say, eight pages or ten pages total. It's a very, very good short story. Uh, I have only read it in digital form, but the story is six minutes long in audio. But yeah, I would say probably eight pages if I had a book of it. So uh, that, That's all I have for other people. That, yep, that's all I have too. Go read it. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Not I, before bedtime. I, <laughs> I highly encourage anyone to read it. It's really, really good. Okay, so before we get to my story, and I picked two, we're going to talk about framing. So how do you feel about books that use framing as a device? It depends how good is the author of framing. Just as a general concept. <laughs> so like, for example, H.G. Wells, he framed his time machine story in, mm-hmm. in a couple different ways, right? Right. By setting it in a dinner setting, right? With a group of gentlemen who don't have any names before he tells you a, a story that you are led to believe isn't true, but maybe true. So that's one kind of framing. I enjoyed it. I like the way he did it immensely. Neil Gaiman, much like Edgar Allan Poe, I'd say, is a positive uh, contrast. Like Their strength is framing a story in such a way that you're left a little bit disoriented as to what's going on, and you're left a little bit off-kilter 
which is part of the purpose of the framing in the first place. Right, right. I I am a fan of framing in general. I enjoy it. Uh, it. Sometimes it just doesn't add to the story, but if it adds to the story, it does it really well. But it doesn't bother me if it's just... I don't know if I've ever read a story, a short story, or any story, really, that used framing in a way that really threw me off and was like, "What? why are we doing this? In general, I like it, and Neil Gaiman does it well. Anyway, so for both both of the next stories are framing are framed as i said and we're going to start with october takes the chair donald called the rent runs away from home earnest his earnest preparation is also is almost funny on his planned journey to the sea he falls asleep only to be awoken by dearly a night of adventures ends with the runt realizing that Dearly is a ghost and he decides he wants to stay and enters the most forbidding house in the abandoned town he dozed off in. What do you think about the framing of this particular story? So, do you remember I told you at the beginning that I loved um, <clears throat> Neil Gaiman's uh, Samian stories? Yes. October Takes a Chair reminds me very strongly mm. of the Sandman stories, right? Because... Mm-hmm. Literally, when it says October takes the chair, it's literally the month of October sitting down to take the chair and tell their story after the other months kind of have their say and you get a sense of their, their, their personalities and peculiarities. I really enjoyed it. I really, really liked it. And of course, the scariest or the most um, haunting, I guess is the better way. I shouldn't say scary because it's not really scary. The most haunting story out of all the little vignettes told was October's story. And obviously that has to be deliberate because it's October, right? Right. I the interactions of the month of the months as they're so you get the idea, and he never says this, that every at the beginning of every month, the months all gathered around to tell a story about something. They have to bring a story to the campfire. Um and the part where I think it was June says, well, then there was this man and he did this thing and she was in love with him and blah, blah, blah. Okay. We'll tell that story. And she goes, I just did. I just did. (laughs) No, I just did. (laughs) And I think there's somebody looking at the forest, uh, looking out from the forest at us all the time. I think it was April who said that. <laughs> and, and May says, that's because you're crazy. <laughs> so I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite month of the year? Oh, I was going to ask you that. Um, in real life or in this story? In real life. September. Why? Because, in, at least in Portland, where I live, it's not hot, but it's still sunny. And it has a certain smell. I don't know. It smells like fall. Well, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. It's kind of like the leaves are beginning to turn color and the air is brisk, but not quite cold. Right, 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 right. And see, the thing is with um, September, it's before the rain starts. The rain starts on my birthday and ends on the 4th of July. Gotcha. So, 
And I like rain. It doesn't bother me, but that, what's your favorite month? Pre-kids, my favorite month was November. Love November. A lot of the reasons that you're saying, because around where I live, everything you described, all that begins to happen around November. That and Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday by far. Love Thanksgiving. So after kids, though, my favorite holiday, my favorite month is May. School gets out. Memorial Day weekend. Usually go do something with the family near a lake, and it's just the family, just the immediate family, and it's just us. And you know, my kids are getting older. Like you, you're you're a few years ahead of me, so I'm trying to enjoy these last few years before they decide to take off and and, and leave. So um, I'm enjoying like the and because when when June and July hits, they're usually off in camp and doing other stuff. So I won't see them just generally. So. So May is my favorite month now. Yeah. And who's your favorite month in this story? Can't choose between, see, I can't choose between October or November. Because the way October leaves it, you're left with feeling like November has something up, up the sleeve. But I like the way October kind of took control of the story. So... And the story itself is pretty good. With dear, I think I like February, who is constantly like, "No, we have to follow the rules. We have to follow the rules." October has to say, "I can't believe! I cannot believe that that out of all the months, you'd pick the one that that's a rule stickler." Oh, I have no idea why you can't believe that. Have you looked at the spreadsheet yet? Can you tell why I didn't pick the rule stickler? (laughs) (laughs) So what did you think about the story itself? So I love the story. I I genuinely, genuinely love the story because it was revealed in a way that would be appropriate for a kid that age Mm -hmm. that, you know, had basically been like emotionally and mentally abused his entire life. Right. And him coming to the, like, you realize pretty early on that, that Dearly is a ghost. You're not quite sure how or why, but you, you know that something's not right with Dearly. And just kind of, Neil Gaiman has this way of writing something from a kid's point of view mm-hmm. that when the kid realizes it, there's almost, I want to say there's, there's no moment of there's a moment of recognition which transitions very naturally into acceptance as opposed to any other emotion. And Neil Gaiman just does a very good job of doing that transition in such a natural seeming way for the character that I think it enhances the story. I don't know if what I said made any sense though. No, totally. It's um it's like the opposite of the graveyard book. Yes, exactly. Um, and I, I don't, I wish I had looked this up before we started recording because I don't know which he wrote first because this is a collection of stories written over a period of time. It, it, it's a, just like you said, it, it's an acceptance. Like something truly terrible happened to this boy and he's running away from home. <laughs> By the way, him getting ready, ready to run away from home was 
so funny. Like quarters and beef jerky and a bottle of water and that's it. <laughs> and yeah. anyway. Um and you you don't ever find out how he died or when he died. You're talking about Dearly? No. I'm not talking about Dearly. I'm talking about Donald. I'm talking about the run. He just realizes that he wants to stay, even though he can't go to the sea. But also, the fact that he can interact with Dearly means he's dead. And then he goes into the creepy house. And we don't know what happens there. So, So when do you think... The runt died. Do you think he died when he went to sleep? Or do you think when he, he went died to when sleep. he went to sleep? Yeah, I think so too. When he went to sleep. When he went to sleep. I, it just... Because he was totally unprepared like for the real world, right? So to speak. Right. And uh, clearly unprepared for the elements. And he was, to my, to my impression, like uh, malnourished to begin with and just didn't have much strength, physical strength left. Right, had the fortitude, just not the strength. Right, and it's it's spooky and creepy and sad, but it's not a scary story. It's just so you say you say spooky and creepy and sad, and I'll agree with the sad part. I don't necessarily agree with the spooky and creepy. I was left. I think the the appropriate word for it it was haunting, and that's fair. The house, the old har- the old farmhouse is definitely creepy. The one he goes into. Absolutely. So there are creepy elements, but that's not, haunting is definitely probably a better word. It just has, it's just, it's just such a beautiful, sad story. It's so perfect for, I mean, I would read this to a small child. Well, not super small, but you know, a 10 year old. A preaching. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, I would, it's, if you would watch Spirited Away with your child, you could read this story to your child. If your child's old enough to read The Giver, they're old enough to read this story. Yes, definitely. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. So I liked mm-hmm. it. I liked it. Yeah. Let, let's turn to your other, other short story. <laughs> A man remembers. And, oh, this is closing time. A man remembers an evening at his old club, the Diogenes. Did yep. I say that right? Oh, hey. <laughs> Where regulars exchange ghost stories, ending with a relation of a very strange story of a walk home from school, a meetup with unknown boys, an ex- exploration of an abandoned estate, and the discovery of a playhouse where the boys disappear into forever. And at the end, the silent guest seems to be one of the boys or something. It's confusing. Thoughts? Why did you pick this story? I like this story. <laughs> Why? What is there to like about the story? It's just so... <laughs> ugh. All right, so the setup, I like the setup. Kind of talk about the, the owner of the bar and has that Polish, you know girl that that's gonna work with him that might might or might not be a countess she's and definitely then, not <laughs> and then there's this he 
he kind of goes through this. So he does this very seamless transition where he everybody's sitting around talking, and then all of a sudden, like you know, somebody's telling a story, and I'm sitting there going, "It's obviously like this quiet man that nobody's been talking to." So, and the story itself was just kind of, ugh, whatever. And I just read a superior version of it with October takes the chair. So I'm like, this is all <laughs> ugh. It did nothing for me. And oh. I'm sitting here wondering why did Allison pick the same, uh, a lesser version of the same story? Oh well, my god! Well, I almost switched it to Better Grounds, which is a zombie story. But anyway, <laughs> well, you know how I feel about zombies too. So I guess I guess you're picking your poison, right? So <laughs> is this uh, the first time that we've disagreed about a story? Maybe on 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 the podcast. On podcast. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and the, so. the silent man is not the person who's telling the story. Okay. It's one of the three guys. The silent man doesn't say anything until the end of the story where they're standing on the street. Okay. So what I like about it is um, the way that this little boy, he's about 10. And he's he runs into these strange boys that he's never met before in his neighborhood. How we I don't know how exactly to put it. And maybe I am completely wrong about this, but how we we try and the the whole daring thing and the um the pushing of the of the boundaries that this boy is pushed into and in this scary little playhouse and then you find out the man who's been sitting in the corner is Simon who is the boy one of the so basically he encounters ghosts that are repeating the same thing so it's kind of the same thing as other other people like the boys keep going into the play- playhouse and dying and disappearing, and their ghosts are haunting the area. That's how I interpret it. Also, I just like the fact that there's this crazy little house, and and they're they're defiling the house, or they're defiling the little fairy world by bringing in porn and pissing in the in the stream. Like, there's this whole anyway. <laughs> And you're just like, are you still there? I'm still here. I was waiting for you to, to, to wind down on the story that I don't know why you made me read. You, you had me read Harlequin Romance, which I actually liked. Oh, well, do you want to talk about it real quick? Well, Since no, you hate you the story. story. <laughs> I don't hate the story, but it's like, oh my goodness. Like, there's nothing to talk about with the story. It's just kind of blah. So Harlequin Romance was pretty cool. <laughs> we can do Harlequin romance if you want to, though. Oh, Harlequin Hol- Hol- romance is a lot of fun. It's kind of a ghost story, sort of, but not quite. Okay, so you used the word term creepy before with October Takes a Share. Harlequin romance is genuinely creepy. Oh, yeah. But so. it's also, but it's creepy, but it's also kind of lighthearted and fun in some ways. It's weird. It's a, 
it strikes a weird tone. Yeah, I don't want to tell people the story itself because I think that one's kind of worth. On you have to le- read it. You yeah, I, just go read legitimately, it. Legitimately, <laughs> it's one of those stories that if somebody tells you what the story is about, you're gonna be like okay, whatever, and you're not gonna have the urge to read it. Whereas if you just have the title, the title is called Harlequin Valentine, and you just read it, it's it's worth a read. It's just it's fun. It's creepy. It's it's surreal. That's the word I was looking for. It's very it's surreal. The, it's the most surreal that Neil Gaiman gener- generally gets outside of Sandman. I guess American Gods is a little surreal too. This is more surreal than American Gods. I agree. It's, I agree with you. Yeah, it's not as surreal as... Um, hundred years of solitude. It's not that surreal. <laughs> and thankfully much shorter. <laughs> well, if you're going to talk about hundred years of solitude, which a does not fit our podcast, but B, one of the things I always have trouble with, with um, books that you guys are reading that are translated from another language. Like for example, you read it or you listened to hundred years of solitude in English, right? Yes. And I would have to go back and read it in English because I've only ever read it in, in Spanish, right? right? And how do I explain? Uh, no, when, I... When, sorry. No, when you're reading... It's funny. When you're reading a book in, in another language, you're able to, to kind of read that, that other language. Like, there's a different mode, at least for me, there's a different mode of thought I'm using when I'm actually speaking in Spanish because the way you speak Spanish is different than the way you speak English. And so the way the thoughts are communicated are different. And so even though I'm sure 100 Years of Solitude comes across well in English, it's, it's almost lyrical the way it's written in Spanish. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it totally does. Um, I took Hebrew and... Greek when I was in college. I was never fluent in either, but I was fluent enough that I could sense how it would read differently to a Greek per- or, or a Roman to read the New Testament in Greek than it does to read it in English. And things are always lost and things are gained because there's. Some words we don't have a word for in our language where, or, you know what I mean? Like, there are no words totally. for, in fact, there's, this is so off topic, but there's this um, translation of the Bible we're, called the- We're talking about the Bible and 100 Years of Solitude off of a Neil Gaiman book. Yeah, I think we're off topic. <laughs> there's hell, in fairness. Um, there's a translation called the Amplified. And every uh-huh. verse like tries to fit all the different possible meanings of the Greek words <laughs> into English, and so it takes forever <laughs> to read a song. Wow. Anyway, yeah, no, I'm sure. But we got to 100 Years of Solitude fairly because we did talk about surreal- surrealism, and that is one of the most surreal books I've ever read in my life. <laughs> well, magical realism, but yes, it's, it's surreal. It's surreal. Yeah. This is going to be a fun episode to edit. <laughs> hey 
This one's on you. I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> you're you're the one who picked closing time. Go read Bitter Grounds and get back to me. It's not really about yeah. zombies. <laughs> it's kind of about and, zombies. And e- even though my mind should have been playing the song "Closing Time" in my head when I uh, read that story, <laughs> it wasn't because these are all bitter old men. So my uh, my mind went to "Piano Man" by Billy Joel. So, have you done the experiment where you listen to the song where Piano Man is gay is in a gay bar? No, but I'm sure that that would be funny. <laughs> I will do that. I will do that after this podcast. So thanks so much for listening. I have, if I've done my job correctly, you're listening on October 27th, 2022. Better Days by John Worthy is our music. And you can reach us at wordlesspod at gmail.com. I'm Allison and that guy's Mark. Bye, guys. So what order do we want to do? Did you not look at the spreadsheet? Dude. <laughs> Hi, my name's Mark. Have you met me? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I have. <laughs> so the answer is no, I'm not. And... <laughs> You're the absolute worst to record with sometimes. <laughs> Why? Preparation is the key. Okay. I prepare for stuff I get paid for. Okay. Well, that's fair enough, I guess. You pay me my salary and I'll prepare the shit out of it.